Welcome to another edition of ABI Podcast, in which we have conversations with prominent figures in the bankruptcy world to discuss topics of interest to our, our members. I'm Juliette Morangello, resident scholar at the American Bankruptcy Institute. I am pleased to welcome as my guest, Professor Robert Lawless of the University of Illinois School of Law. Today, Professor Lawless and I are going to discuss his research on small business owners in bankruptcy. Professor Lawless has written extensively on this subject, and he is a member of the Consumer Bankruptcy Project, a long-term empirical project studying persons who file for bankruptcy. The small business plays a large role in discussions of economic policymaking today. On the one hand, the Obama administration has proposed stimulating the economy by encouraging loans to small businesses. Yet small businesses are in many ways indistinguishable from their individual owners. Just yesterday, the Washington Post reported that small business owners feel particularly hurt by the drop in home prices because they cannot now offer their homes as collateral for their business loans. Professor Lawless's extensive research on the self-employed provides some valuable lessons to policymakers in their consideration of small business owners and their role in the economy. Thank you for joining me, Bob. Oh, happy to be here. Okay. Um, you have written about how the story of the heroic entrepreneur, often told about the founders of Google who started their business by maxing out their credit cards, is a dangerous one from a policy perspective. What does your research tell us about the typical small business owner? Well, I don't think it's just Google, right? So this is the story that's told about entrepreneurship generally, that it's about the heroic risk takers. Uh, but from a social science research perspective, all we're looking at are the success stories, and we don't really have the stories of the people who fell by the wayside. We, we, right now we uh, look at uh, the people, uh, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, the founders of Google, who, who have a heroic tale, right? And, and there's no question they should be uh, congratulated for their success, and there's no question they took some risk and they, and they paid off. But uh, when you're trying to craft policy, you've got to look at, at everyone, right? And the question is, are they atypical? Uh, did they do something right, or are they just they just happen to be lucky, and they, they look like they're the ones that, after the fact, they look like uh, they're the ones that succeeded, so therefore let's imitate them. And what the research that I've tried to do is to try to add the other, uh, another part piece to this narrative of entrepreneurship in the United States, and that's about the failed entrepreneur. And so we have, in part of the Consumer Bankruptcy Project, we ask people, uh, were you self-employed at or near the time of bankruptcy? And it turns out about one in seven filers say they are. Uh, and they present a, a, both a different uh, demographic as well as financial profile from uh, the other types of bankruptcy filers. Yeah, you've found that about 200,000 consumer bankruptcy cases are filed each year by someone who indicated self-employment. Um, why is it so important to study these self-employed who end up in bankruptcy? Well, I think there's two, two parts of that, uh, uh, two parts of the answer to that, which is, uh, first of all, uh, it says something about the narrative we tell about entrepreneurship, right? We just talked about this, mm -hmm. that, that there are stories that are told about entrepreneurship and why entrepreneurs succeed. The stories that get told are the success stories. Uh, and it's important that we have, for policy uh, reasons, the full, full narrative so we understand uh, uh, what... Uh, decisions people make that 
cause them to enter self-employment, what uh, decisions that cause them maybe to get in trouble uh, with uh, self-employment. Uh, that's the first part, right, the narratives about uh, entrepreneurship that we tell. The second part is the narratives that we tell about bankruptcy. We had a, a bankruptcy law passed in 2005 uh, that was uh, passed based on a narrative about a bankruptcy system full of consumers and a lot of consumer overspending. And you know, our studies suggest that around one in seven people filing bankruptcy is actually there with a small business, uh, some type of uh, debt related to a small business, and that's a very different narrative than the overspending consumer, right? I mean, I don't want to oversell this. I don't want to mm-hmm. say it's not a majority, right? but there's a significant portion of the bankruptcy filing population that's there uh, with the problems of a small business. And in the studies that you've done of the self-employed in, in bankruptcy, um, you have looked into and gained a lot of information about how small business owners finance their businesses. Um, tell us a little bit about what you learned um, about that. Right, so, well, uh, so I'll talk a little bit about that. I guess first, uh, just as a, a, a preface, right, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about uh, the typical filers, the median filer. And, of course, there's a distribution, right? So to say that uh, here's the median outcome doesn't mean that that represents the totality, but it does represent uh, the typical filer that we see. And the self-employed arrive in bankruptcy court in worse, the worst financial shape of any of the bankruptcy filers. Right? So if the, if the bankruptcy uh, population is the bottom of the financial heap, the self-employed are at the bottom of the bottom. Uh, they have uh, extremely high uh, debt-to-income ratios, uh, their debt-to-income ratio is, is uh, 5.8 uh, compared to, uh, to 3.2 for other bankruptcy file as compared to other mm-hmm. bankruptcy filers. So you start to think about that. Right? A debt-to-income ratio of 5.8 means mm-hmm. that uh, you know almost basically six uh, six years worth of income has been committed to repayment of the debts for the self-employed. Right? If they do use no other uh, their income for no other purposes other than repayment of their debt, it takes six years to retire that debt, and that's almost twice as high as is true for other bankruptcy filers. The self-employed have made big financial bets on their business. Uh, what is, is, I guess, surprising to me, or maybe not surprising isn't the right word, um, the magnitude of, the, of a particular finding was, was surprising, is that almost every single one of the self-employed uh, filers have financial responsibility for their businesses. And I think we know that and we talk about that, but to see it in such a, a stark way, it was uh, basically 99.8% of the, of the self-employed filers uh, reported that either their business wasn't incorporated or they had uh, personal financial liability for the debts of the business because of guarantees or the like. Uh, so there's really no economic separation between the self-employed person and their business. The financial affairs of one are really the financial affairs of the other. If the business fails, the small business owner fails, too. We teach in law school about incorporation and, and, and uh, incorporation to uh, limit your liability, and you know that's certainly uh, often a sound legal strategy. Mm-hmm. But limited liability is not the reality for every small business owner. Yeah, those are are really. Um interesting statistics. And so really what you found is there's a very thin line between businesses and consumers, yet often, and you know, you mentioned what, what you teach in a, ba- what one teaches in a basic corporate law course, you know, often we distinguish um, 
pretty clearly between an individual and a business, a consumer and a business, and and the law does that as well. Um, it re, the card, the Credit Card Act, went into effect just the other day, and small business owners are uh, excluded from the protections of of that act. Um, does it make sense to have distinctions like that in a lot of the laws? Well, I mean, right, but that's what laws do, right? Laws draw distinctions, and they don't always draw perfect distinctions. Uh, I don't think the distinction on the on the uh, consumer credit side happens to make a lot of sense, even with that caveat. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, no matter where you, the law is going to have to draw a line here somewhere, and it's going to be over inclusive or under inclusive as to particular cases. But it, when you, it comes to things like the Credit Card Act, or, or you know, most all of the uh, uh, consumer credit protection statutes, like the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act mm-hmm. and the like, the line drawing that they do don't uh, does not capture the reality of what's happening on the ground with small business owners, right? So to have a, a credit card act that excludes small business doesn't really recognize mm-hmm. the fact that most people with a small business credit, with a business credit card, there's no real distinction between their business affairs and their consumer affairs. And it, 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 it's, it's relying, right? The law is relying on the fiction that somehow... Business owners tend to be more sophisticated, therefore mm-hmm. they need less protection, but that's just not the reality of what's happening in the, uh, uh, in the marketplace. Right? The same person who goes to the grocery store and buys groceries, the next day will be using that credit card to, uh, to buy inventory or supplies for their business. And we treat them as unsophisticated when they're in the grocery store and as, a, as sophisticated when they're buying the buying the supplies, and I, I just don't think that distinction makes a lot of sense in terms of the reality of the situation. And, and how, what did you find in your research about um, how these small business owners finance their businesses? Is it mostly credit card debt? Is it um, mortgage, second mortgages on their homes? Well, it's both of those. It's mainly, so the typical, so this goes back to my comment, right, that it's about uh, when you talk about medians, you're talking about the typical filer. Right. You're not saying all filers are like this, but the median filer, it's all it's credit card debt, mm-hmm. right? And uh, there's lots more credit card debt uh, at the medians for the self-employed as compared uh, to other filers. So you're looking at a, a credit card debt for the self-employed of around forty-nine thousand at the median, and again, mm-hmm. right? That means half of the filers even had more than that, wow. uh, compared to less than half that, about 22,000 for all other bankruptcy filers. Uh, so it looks like, looking at our data, at least for the self-employed that end up in bankruptcy, they're getting there with lots of credit card debt. On the mortgage debt, there's not that big a difference hmm. overall. Um, the median uh, self-employed person actually has slightly less uh, mortgage debt than uh, other bankruptcy filers, but I think that's because uh, everyone has lots of mortgage debt nowadays. Mm-hmm. There is a, a, a segment of the uh, self-employed in bankruptcy who have very high mortgage debt. About 30% of uh, our filers, and again, this was 2007, so this was before the big decline in home prices. Mm-hmm. About 30% were underwater on their mortgage. Um, so there is a segment of the self-employed population of bankruptcy that has lots of mortgage debt. But if you talk about the typical case, it's really about the credit card debt. Wow. Um, so 
what does this you've we've you've discussed how there's really um, no distinction between or very little distinction between the small business owner and the consumer. In fact, they are the same person, as you mentioned. You know, yeah, the person, I'll go with no distinction. <laughs> there's no yeah, distinction. No right? distinction. <laughs> the same person who goes to the grocery store one day with his credit card is is then buying inventory for the business you know, later the same day. So, so there really is is no distinction, and they're um, you know, using the same uh, mechanisms to borrow money. I mean, the consumer uses a credit card. The owner of the small business um, uses a credit card, and and the, what we discussed, uh, or, or what I discussed in the intro uh, to this, is is what this, how this should inform policy. Um, uh, you have written that, uh, for instance, in the bankruptcy code, uh, there are provisions that are uh, specific to individuals that um, you know cover the consumer buying groceries and the. Um, the, the small business owner um, buying inventory, um, should there be any distinction made between these activities in the bankruptcy code, a uh, distinction that's not there already? I mean, basically, what does this, how, does, how should this inform policymaking? Right. I mean, so when it, it, it comes to, to uh, bankruptcy law, I'm sure the ABI members can think of some uh, specific provisions that come to mind that maybe don't fit real well with the self-employed. I mean, one that always comes to mind right away is the regular income requirement mm-hmm. for a Chapter 13 plan, right? The self-employed uh, often don't have the uh, regular income that uh, a, a wage earner would have, right? Mm-hmm. It, uh, the business can be cyclical, one month can be boom, the next month can be bust. And uh, they're obviously, to accommodate the self-employed, there needs to be some flexibility there. And, and you know, maybe that's happening to some extent in the discretion judges have to define what it means to have regular income. But that's certainly one specific way that the bankruptcy code, I don't think, is meeting the needs of self-employed, mm-hmm. is that regular income requirement in Chapter 13. And perhaps once we recognize that you know one in seven bankruptcy filers is self-employed, we might think about some rules that uh, are more uh, narrowly tailored to their situation. Right? Right, I can also think of some other specific things the bankruptcy code we might do to make it work better for the self-employed. Uh, consumer credit counseling comes to mind. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're there because you've, you've made a, uh, you're in bankruptcy court because you've tried a business and it's failed, consumer credit counseling probably doesn't do a whole lot for you. At least certainly as it's configured right now, it doesn't do anything for you. So you can see a, um, a, uh, a, a, a just anybody with a business, anybody with any type of self-employment being accepted from consumer credit counseling, and I know what uh, uh, many of the listeners in this podcast will say as well, it's only consumer credit counseling, it's only if you're filing as a consumer, uh, but most of the self-employed, most all of the self-employed file bankruptcy and check that consumer box in the bankruptcy petition, right? I mean, perhaps part of this is they need to be more aggressive and check the business box, mm-hmm. uh, but just to give you a for instance, in, uh, in the Consumer Bankruptcy Project, there uh, is a, a, a case where uh, somebody filed with a, a million-dollar unsecured debt, which was a guarantee on a business uh, uh, matter, and uh, the, uh, the rest of the file is fairly unremarkable. The, un- the million-dollar guarantee swapped all of the other debt, yet it's filed as a consumer case. If you go look at the petition, the box is checked that the debts are predominantly consumer despite the fact that 
you know, 90-some percent of the debts were due to the business guarantee. Mm-hmm. And that fact is repeated over and over, right? The one in seven people that say they're self-employed at the time of filing, most of them, most of them, most all of them, check the box as consumers. And so, may, you know, part of maybe what needs to happen is also not in the courtroom but in the law offices at, at uh, counseling time when mm-hmm. the debtor comes in is to uh, think about, uh, how the case is presented to the court and, you know, what obvious way is that checkbox in the front of the petition. You know, at the same time, it, it, uh, I understand, right, practitioners don't want to be too aggressive in checking that box and making a claim for a business filing that might later be challenged. So those are some, you know, the regular income requirement, the credit counseling requirement, and I can think of some other maybe tweaks in the bankruptcy mm-hmm. law that would help perhaps make it work better for the self-employed, maybe some of the documentation requirements that were imposed in 2005 could be relaxed. But I think those are all tweaks at the margin. Really where I think the importance here is, again, it's really about the narrative, the story that we tell about, both about entrepreneurship and bankruptcy law. Uh, The narratives that are told about uh, law and what happens in the courtroom and what happens outside the courtroom are really what drives legal change. And I, I think it's important that those narratives be as, told uh, as accurately as possible about the reality of what's happening. And I think that's the real value of, of understanding what's happening with the self-employed in bankruptcy. Well, I, I think that's, that's really useful information, and, and certainly your research um, adds to uh, the discussion of bankruptcy policy, and I thank you for uh, joining me to talk about that today. Um, I've enjoyed talking to you, and I'm sure that ABI members will enjoy listening to this conversation. Oh, happy, happy to talk with you. Well, thanks, Bob. Um, from the ABI, this is Juliette Morangello. Thank you for listening.